Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show. It's on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode number 188. It's titled, Should You Pay Off Debt or Invest? I'd like to welcome new listeners. Apple featured the show on their homepage under Learn Something New. And so we've had more people discover the show. Although the primary way for people to discover the show is you tell your friends and family about it. And for that, I'm very appreciative of that. And I have an example of that. This is an email from Michelle. She says, Happy New Year. First, I thought you'd appreciate knowing how I became a listener to your podcast exactly six days ago. My husband, Scott, and I love to travel, and we booked a 10-day trip through Germany, Austria, and Switzerland over Christmas. One of our fellow tour guests from Australia and I were talking about our interest in personal finance, business, and investing, and he mentioned that your podcast is his favorite. I did some research and listened to the first two episodes on the bus drives through the countryside, and now I'm hooked. Pretty amazing that even though you and I both live in the U.S., I got to know you via someone from in Australia while traveling in Europe. Globalization at its finest. And then Michelle goes on and asks her question. She was wondering if I could provide my perspective regarding how to decide to pay off student loans, save for retirement, or and or save for a house. She goes on. My husband had nearly $40,000 in graduate school loan debt when we met six years ago. And I picked up $40,000 for my MBA. So that's $80,000 in student loan debt. We've whittled it down to about $15,000 of mine and or of his. Well, collectively, they've whittled down to $40,000. Just, just working through it making extra payments, and using their wedding money toward the loan. In talking with our new Australian friends, it's obvious we aren't alone in struggling to decide how to allocate our money between paying our loans down or investing in retirement or money managed accounts for house down payment. Clearly, if we anticipate our returns in the investment accounts will be greater than our interest rate on our debt, it makes financial sense to invest. She has it down. Just mathematically, if you can earn more investing than you're paying on your after-tax cost of debt, then it makes sense to continue investing. But it's not that simple, is it? She goes on. Yet, there's this horrible looming shadow over our heads having over $40,000 in student debt between the two of us. That makes it difficult to rationalize in our heads. We're saving about 15 to 17% of our income, including my company's 401k match, each month. We budget and don't spend lavishly on material things, 
as we prefer to travel and have experiences over goods. While trying to fit in as much of the travel and experiences as we can before having kids. So they, they, they're saving. And I've said that if you're saving for a retirement, you should be saving 15 to 20% of your income toward retirement, including company matches for your deferred, con, con, deferred retirement plans. And they're doing it. But they got this, this debt overhang and it bugs them. And we're going to talk about that. And, and the way to look at it is, is really to look at what's their total wealth of Michelle and Scott, their total net worth. So often we just focus on the financial capital. What do they have in investment assets, their retirement accounts, or other valuables? But we need to look at the other side. What is their human capital? Human capital was popularized by the economist Alfred Marshall from Cambridge University in the late 19th century and Gary Becker from the University of Chicago in the late 20th century. And human capital represents your lifetime earning power, your lifetime income, your ability to work. In the case of Michelle and Scott, they invested their human capital by going to graduate school. Last week, episode 187, we talked about opportunity costs. What was that opportunity cost of the decision? Well, they gave up several years of not being able to work. So they gave up some income. They also gave up maybe additional trips to Europe because now they have this debt. The question is, was that a good investment? And should they potentially pay off the debt now versus continuing to invest like they're doing? In episode 45, it was titled Funding the Startup of You. And one of the topics there was what is the financial return for education, particularly for college? And I referred to, and, I, and I'm going to update the numbers now, there's a study by Payscale. And they rank 1,833 colleges in the U.S. in terms of the, the potential return from getting a four-year undergraduate degree. And, and they... And the way that they calculate it, they do a return on investment. So they look at the difference between the 20-year median pay for those that attended the school, graduate of the school, and then they back out the 24-year median pay for high school graduates. So you, because you go to school four years, and so you know, what are the graduates making versus a high school graduate over essentially a career, 20 to 24 years? Then they back out the four-year cost of the school. And they find out that the school with the biggest payoff is the United States Merchant Marine Academy. That calculation, lifetime earnings, 20 years, backing out the earnings from somebody with a high school degree, and then the difference there and backing out the cost of the school. They found a million dollars. $1,056,000. That's the return on investment. The school average school cost for four years, pretty inexpensive, $33,000, presumably because there's a military commitment after that. The average loan amount coming out of school is $12,300 in terms of student loan debt, 72% graduation rate. School number two and three is MIT and Harvey Mudd 
College. Both have ROIs, return on investment, just under a million dollars. And the the four-year cost of those schools, $240,000. And surprisingly, though, the debt coming out for your average MIT graduate is only $32,000. So a lot compared to the $240,000 in tuition and 90% graduate graduation rate from MIT. So two different ways to go about it. One's a military school, one's a private school, where they're both Henry Harvey Mudd's also a private school. But not every school has a positive ROI. The worst school had a negative return on investment of $174,300. It was Talladega College. I assume it's a private school. I, I, I forgot to look. I think it's in Florida. $85,500 for four-year cost, only a 44% graduation rate, $27,000 in student loan debt. Graduates aren't getting a big bump in income if they graduate. That's the key is to graduate. Second worst was Mississippi Valley State University, $74,000 four-year cost, had a negative ROI of $153,700, only 30% graduation rate. Student loan debt coming out was twenty nine thousand one hundred. So generally, most so ninety four percent or ninety three percent of the schools they looked at had a positive ROI, return on investment. So the way to look at that is this: student loan debt is an investment to increase the value of your human capital, your earnings capacity. There's two different types of debt, and we've talked about that. Debt shifts future consumption into the present. Your ability to, to, because you had to pay off the debt with interest, you're taking futures earnings and you're moving that spending ability into the present. Now, that debt can be invested in depreciating assets, food, groceries, things of that sort. And that's, that's really, that's an asset liability mismatch. What's the asset there? The asset is, is whatever you buy with the debt. And sometimes if you've got consumer debt, long-term consumer debt, and you're buying these short-term assets, assets that depreciate, that lowers your net worth. If we compare that to education, though, there, that debt, it's long-term debt. And if we're going to match it to our assets, assets are human capital. And, and so it's fine to have long-term student debt because you increased your net worth in terms of human capital. And what about a house? A house, back in episode 844, should you pay off your mortgage? We just thought, we discussed how home prices, after adjusting for inflation or backing out inflation and upkeep, they decline over time. It's a depreciating asset unless you, if you don't take into account inflation, and you don't continue to upkeep the house. It falls apart. They get old and they get out of style. But if we invest in it, continue to upkeep it, it generally can keep up with inflation. And in some areas, it does better than inflation because just geographical constraints, there's areas, there's not a whole lot of new supply of houses because of the geography or restrictive zoning. And there it can do, do better than inflation. But for most people, the reason why their homes appreciate 
They build up equities because of the mortgage payment. They're taking out this long-term debt and matching it with the asset. And as inflation occurs, the value of the house keeps up with inflation, but they're paying back that debt in inflation-adjusted dollars. So the debt is shrinking on an inflation-adjusted basis. And, and so that together builds net worth. And so we're more comfortable with that asset liability matching when it comes to houses. You need to think the same way when it comes to student debt, depending on the degree. But in their case, something like an MBA, that is hopefully going to pay off in terms of increased earning capacity, human capital. And so it's a, it's a good investment. So you don't have to pay it off right away because it's matched to your asset. Now the question becomes, if we think about this human capital, our total net worth, our financial capital, and our earnings ability, our human capital, how does that impact how we invest? Before I answer that, let me share some words from this week's sponsors. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Now, based on this concept of asset liability matching, I believe that for most individuals that have student loan debt, that have a mortgage, 
they should continue to invest. You can find opportunities to, to, to pay down your debt. When you get a bonus, perhaps you, you push some toward paying down that student loan debt. But it's okay to have that debt because it matches with your asset of human capital. Plus, by learning to save and invest, you get discipline and you gain investment knowledge, the knowledge you need in your younger years so that as your financial capital grows while your human capital gets diminished as you age, you have the skills in order to be able to invest. So by just focusing completely on paying down debt and not investing at all, you're not picking up those skills you need to learn how to invest. And so it's okay to have some debt. Now, sometime we eventually paid off our student loan debt when we got a a lump sum payment, a bonus at some point, we paid it off. The same thing with our mortgage. We got to the point where we just didn't want the headache of having that debt overhang. But we were able to do that because we had invested for several decades. And it was only when we had more financial capital that we had the flexibility to do that, that we elected to do that. For most, if it's a choice of either or, it's better to to do both, to, to invest and to pay off debt over time. And recognizing those, that mortgage, that student loan debt, that's asset liability matching. It was there, it was an investment to increase your human capital. Now, how do we invest knowing we have this human capital? Well, in your younger years, when you have more human capital, you can afford to take more risk in terms of investing in the stock market. There's a, an academic paper that I'll link to in the show notes. And if you're a member of my free insider's guide, the weekly email, you've already gotten those links. You can sign up for that by going to moneyfortherestofus.com. I'll send you those links each week, as well as some of the best writing I do each week, an essay on sometimes that week's episode or on a different topic. And you can sign up for that again at moneyfortherestofus.com. Or if you are a US-based listener, just text the word insider to the number 44222. Well, this paper is by David Strangeland and Harry Tuttle, and they refer to another paper by Z. Bodie, R. Merton, and W. Samuelson, all well-renowned economists. And their paper was on labor supply flexibility and portfolio choice in a life cycle model. And, And now we have these life cycle funds, where these target date funds where you invest, so a 2030 fund, a 2040 fund, and those Funds have what's known as a glide path where the equity allocation, the stock allocation, goes down over time. The the 2050 fund will have more in stocks than a 2030 fund. And then as we approach 2030, they'll have less in stocks. Why is that? Well, sometimes we think it's because, well, stocks are less risky in the long term, that you have time diversification. If you hold them longer, stocks become less risky. That, that's not true. That's not, I mean, there's some controversy there, but it, it's just not true. Because in over longer periods, if we're measuring risk in terms of volatility, which is often measured by standard deviation, the range of potential returns, it is true that the range of potential returns in a given year, really high, 20, 
standard deviation, a standard deviation of 20, given your last year, stocks up double digits. There's years they're down 30%. Other years are up 30%. Really wide range in a one-year period. But over a five-year period or 10-year period, that range of potential returns is narrower in terms of standard deviation. But your probability or your potential loss can be much greater. Your loss in dollars over a period of negative returns is much greater than your potential loss in any one year. Well, skeptics will will say historically, if you own stocks, you've done better on an inflation-adjusted basis over the long term. And that's true. And that's one reason to own stocks. It's because they're great inflation hedges. But the pattern of historical return is just one, it's one series. It's not guaranteed. Zvi Bodhi did a study, and he looked at this. And he questioned, well, if stocks are less risky in the long term, why are the premiums you pay for option contracts to protect against, if you're trying to hedge against losses, the longer the time period, the more expensive the option premiums, even taking into account the longer period. They're just more expensive because over a longer time period, the magnitude of the loss can be much greater. Now, having said that, we, as a younger investor, can invest more in stocks because of your human capital. A large amount of human capital, that gives you time if there is a period of negative return to recoup those losses. Here's how Bodie Mertens and Samuelson put it in a paper. It was Again, it's this labor supply flexibility and portfolio choice in a life cycle model paper. I'll, I'll link to it. And the Strangeland and Turtle describe the paper. They say, they argue, Bodie Merton and Samuelson, that investors can place higher proportions of their portfolio in risky securities when they are young because they're able and willing to work harder and give up leisure should they suffer any shortfalls from expectations. In latter stages of life, investors do not have the time or human capital to work harder to recover investment losses And thus, they are less willing to commit a high proportion of their portfolio to risky assets. So you can afford to take more risk when you're young because you have a greater amount of human capital. You have more time to recoup those losses and reduce your expenses or work more in order to recoup those losses. It's not because stocks are less risky in the long term. If you get a lump sum payment, then you need to decide how much should go toward paying off debt, how much toward continuing to invest. And then that brings up the question, what do we do with this money that if we decide to invest it? I recently got an email from Matias. He's from Argentina, but he's lived in London the past 15 years and loves to listen to the show on his daily commute. And he asked, In this bull market, if we have a lump sum to invest, should we invest it all together at once or should dollar or should we dollar cost average over time? Let's say put it in over a one year period. Great question. And and 
it's something I've addressed before. Addressed it on Money for the Rest of Plus, but let's let's look at it again. There's a white paper by Vanguard I'll link to. It's called Invest Now or Temporarily Hold Cash. And they found that it's better to invest in all. That the returns are better. A systematic implementation, if you're going to dollar cost average, will lead to lower returns. And they they look at returns from the U.S. stock market from 1926 to 2015 and found the returns were better 68% of the time when you invest right away. And the magnitude of performance difference was about 2.4% annualized. So you were better off investing it right away. The same for the U.K., looking from 1976 to 2015, 70% 70% of the time it was better to invest it right away. Australia, 68% of the time it was better. It didn't even matter what the asset allocation was. But why don't we do that? Well, because we're managing our regret. They say systematic implementation provides some protection against regret. Regret against what? Well, you invest it right away and the market falls 25%. You feel bad. It's like, oh, I should have known that. But you don't. Episode 138, I talked about this, this regret premium. Risk aversion is a fee that we pay. We're less we're risk averse. It's a fee we pay to avoid regret. That awful feeling when the market falls after we invest our money in it. And it's a real feeling. And so it's okay to systematically invest over a one-year period of time. Recognizing the performance give up, perhaps 2% on average, that's the premium for avoiding that feeling of regret. Here's an example how I handled this situation in, in the last month. In early December, I got a large lump sum payout from my former partners. And I'm in the same, essentially the situation Matias is talking about, a lump sum. Markets richly valued. What do I do with it? Do I invest it all at once? Or do I systematically dollar cost average in? Here's what I did. I got that really the beginning of the December and immediately within a couple days, I invested 9% in the asset class that had done the worst in 2017, master limited partnerships, energy infrastructure. It'd been beaten up. There was big tax loss selling. As investors were trying to recognize losses and I invested it. It's now up 13%. I put 20% in stocks, the vast majority in non-US and emerging markets, exchange traded funds by Vanguard, Schwab and iShares. That's up about 7%. Now, put 9% in a commercial real estate bridge loan for a new hotel. This was through a crowdfunding platform on Yield Street. So it's debt that pays 9%. Put 4% was a capital call for some private investment funds I'm in that are invested in real estate, energy, venture capital, leverage buyout funds. They, they invested 4% in that. They called some capital. I put that. 
but 29% in a iShare short maturity bond ETF, NEAR, yielding about 1.8%. So 29% there. Put 4% in antiques. I'm a collector. I mentioned this last week, episode 187. 4% went there. And I still have 25% in cash. I put a little bit in a number of different pockets. Most of that went in in December, but I still have 25% in cash and 29% is in a short maturity bond ETF, which is essentially like cash. There's a little bit of volatility there. So I'm systematically doing it to manage my regret and just wait for opportunities. I'm not one that's going to put it all in in the stock market in day one. I, I spread it around different opportunities, some speculative, like the antiques, some more risky, like the master limited partnerships in the stocks, some less risky, like the bridge loan and the short-term bond fund. Now, I share what I do on my portfolio on a regular basis for members of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. Now, currently that's closed for new members, but we'll reopen in spring. So you can sign up to get on the waiting list by going to moneyfortherestofus.com and sign up there. And you'll be the first to know when we're reopening again. But the bottom line is it's okay to have debt, long-term debt that's matched with an asset human capital Debt where you're essentially accelerating future spending into the present for a depreciating asset. Not always the best choice. Sometimes we have to do it for a car, for example, but for a vacation or, or things of that sort, not always the, the best choice. And there's sometimes where you, you don't, you have to pay off the debt. If you got high price consumer debt, credit card loans, often it's best to get your match from your 401k, but work off to pay off that debt. And then regarding lump sum payments, sometimes you put it toward your debt. Sometimes you invest it. And in my case, I'll systematically invest that over time to manage my regret if the market falls. So that's episode 188. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. Just investment education, education on the economy, money. And I hope you have a great week.